Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Trust Your Heads to Heaven. Trust Your Heads to Heaven, Mark chapter 6, 21 to 29. And have you ever heard the expression, I want this guy's head sort of up on a platter? Or I, if you mess this up, I'm going to have your head on a plate. Yeah, and some of you may have even said it. You ever hear that saying before? Well, what it means that we know is it's, it means that someone's mad at you or mad at us or they want somebody punished or held accountable or someone's going to pay for something that goes wrong. Maybe your boss just said that to you or, or about someone. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher. Um, you see it in the movies all the time, the gangster. I want his head on a plate, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but here, this is where we, this passage here in Mark is where we really get that expression from. And it's for real. It's not an expression, but it's for real. Last week we saw that John was in prison. John the Baptist was in prison. It was a very heavy sermon. If you missed it, the CDs are available. We have them out in the back there. We were able to get them together for you. So the CDs are available. But today, there's another heavy sermon. Uh, In fact, it's even worse. It's John being beheaded. Last week, he was in prison. Today, he's going to be beheaded. Listen, there's just no nice, encouraging way to spin this, all right? This is going to be a heavy sermon. Come back. Y'all come back now. Next week is Mother's Day. We're going to be hitting Jesus, feeding the 5,000. Next few weeks, it's going to be real nice and and, and encouraging. There's just no positive way to say this guy got his head cut off, all right? uh, but, but, But bear with it because it's an important passage. Even though last week was, I want to say this though, even though last week was heavy, I want to encourage you to get the CD if you missed it or listen to the podcast, there was a ray of hope in last week's sermon that we don't have to end up like King Herod. King Herod ended up his life haunted. He was haunted by what he had done and by the life he had lived. And we don't have to live our life haunted because no matter what we have done, we can go to the cross of Jesus Christ and find forgiveness. And no matter what we're struggling with as Christians, we can go to the throne of God and find mercy and grace. No matter what we're struggling with, we can go to that throne every day. So we don't have to live that haunted life. So even though it was a heavy, there was a happy, happy haunting there because there was a a positive that we could see how we don't have to live with that haunting life. That the cross and the throne is there for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing each person here. We know you've called each one of us here for a reason. You're going to work on our heart in some way through this special communion service. We ask for your mercy and grace. We invite your Holy Spirit. We ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to every one of our hearts. And whatever we've carried in as baggage, we wouldn't walk out with it. That we would understand how to come to the cross and come to the throne. And live a life that you've called us to live, a life of freedom, a life of purpose, a life of peace, a life of joy that you've called every one of us to live in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so before I read the passage here, we've been talking about Jesus Christ's power and how he shared his power with the 12 apostles. Once again, if you weren't here for the last few weeks, you can grab the CDs. But they, he shared his power with the 12 apostles, and they went out and had this powerful ministry. Remember, they preached powerfully, they cast out demons, they healed people. But this, when the word gets to Herod, this power shakes up King Herod. 
And we, he, Mark inserts a little sandwich here between verse 13 and verse 30. We talked about this last week. He inserts a sandwich, the story of John the Baptist. From the time the disciples went out and did the powerful ministry to the time they come back to report to Jesus what happened, there's this John witch right in between. Uh, the John witch, right. And it, but you're not going to like what's in this, this sandwich, this John witch, right? It's a warning to the disciples and to us. This is a warning passage. What will happen to us if we share Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. If we live out the power of Jesus Christ in our life, this is a warning to how we're going to be received by the world. Let me read that. Let's just read the whole passage again, and then we'll start focusing on the verse 21 there. Starting with verse uh, 14, in case you missed last week. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said it, he is Elijah, and still others claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John the, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod, Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Boy, I'd almost want to preach that one again. That, that is a powerful passage. Get the CD. It's powerful. That passage we looked at last week. The whole idea that, that he stole his brother's wife and, and, and committed adultery with her and, and married her and dumped his own wife. And just a crazy story here. That's what John confronted. But then it goes on. Look at what happened here. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. If we follow Jesus Christ, if we speak the truth, we better commit our heads to heaven. You better commit your head to heaven. Verse 21, let's pick it up again here. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So it King Herod, although he's really only a quarter of a king last week, we talked about that. King Herod has his big birthday bash, boys only, thank bachelor's bachelor party. They're all smashed, you know, smashed and high probably. And Herodias' daughter 
uh, history tells us her name was Salome, comes in to dance. Now, she's not doing the chicken dance here. Uh, think bachelor's party again. And she does this sexual pornographic dance. She was probably naked by the time she was done. This is the kind of dancing they did at this time, and still do in the USA Today, I guess. But, uh, but Herod was so moved by her artistic excellence that uh, he makes this rash vow. You can have, have whatever you want. Come sit on my lap. Uh, you can have whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. Now, this is an idiom that was used commonly at that time. It means ask for something really big. He didn't mean it literally, but he asked for something big. And he's probably thinking, here's a teenage girl. She probably wants a new chariot to drive around, you know, with her friends, right? She's not, you know, that's what he's probably thinking, right? You know, here's the keys to the new chariot. That's what he's thinking. But we see in verse 24 and 25, she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Uh, it may have been an idiom, but Herodias is no idiot. And she, the black widow spider, pounces. She's been waiting for her chance. She pounces. Salome hurries back in before Herod passes out. That's why she's probably hurrying, you know, because before he passes out and forgets his promise. Uh, but also, she's probably, uh, you know, bloodthirsty like her mother. She shares that bloodthirsty na nature. And what she says sobers up King Herod in a hurry. Verses 26 to 29 says, here, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It sobered him up in a hurry. John was greatly distressed. The word distress is the same word used for Jesus when he was in the garden praying before his crucifixion. This is a very, he was really upset. It ripped him apart. But in the end, he was more worried about man's opinion. He was more worried about man's and a woman's opinion than God's opinion. And this bad decision that he made changed the whole course of his life for earth and eternity. This Bad decision he did, his decision he made changed the whole course of his life and his eternity because it calloused his heart when he went against what he knew was right. Remember last week, he was really seeking, really searching. When he went against what he knew was right, it calloused his heart. And we finally find in Luke 23, we saw that last week, how he, he you know, mocked Jesus and turned on Jesus because of the callousness, because of this bad decision he made. And it's really dumb if you think about it. It's really dumb. These drinking buddies who he was so worried about, they were going to think bad of him, so concerned about him, they were, where were they later on? I mean, he was so, where were they later? Where were they when he, when he, well, where are they now, right? But where were they years later when he was exiled? Remember we talked about Herod was exiled? Where were they? They didn't go to, into exile with him. And yet he changed the whole, his whole life for their sake. I tell, I tell my kids all the time, they're worried about peer pressure and, and something at school happening. And I tell them all the time, so listen, it's dumb. You're worried about what your friends in school are going to think because you don't do X, Y, or Z or because you're going to take a stand. It's so dumb. You know what? Listen, 
10 years from now, when you're graduated, you go to the, if you go to the reunion, you're not going to have talked to them in 10 years. You're not going to even care about them. And so these people that you're living for and doing stupid things for and are not doing the right thing for, it's really kind of dumb if you think about it because 10 years from now, you're not even going to remember them. And yet that's what Herod was doing. These guys didn't follow him in the exile. The only one who went to exile with him was, guess who? Herodias. And she should have gone because she got him sent into exile. Josephus tells the story. She, she got him exiled because she wanted him to have more power. She wanted him to be not just a quarter of a king, but a real king. She kept pushing him, pushing him. He finally approached the Roman emperor and tried to get more power. And guess what? He didn't like that. And so he threw him out. Took away the, his quarter of a kingdom and, and, and exiled him. Can you imagine one, the once King Herod and Herodias? What their life must have been like? You bum, you should be the king right now. What's wrong with you? It's your fault I don't even have anything. You, know, you can imagine what they must have gone through, right? So John, uh, John is beheaded because Herod cares more about man's opinion than God's opinion. He's, he's beheaded, gives, gives it to uh, Salome. We know from history her name is Salome. Gives the, the, the head on a platter to her. She goes and gives it to her mom. And now we have the literal John Witch. Uh, we talked about the sandwich, sandwich. But all because, now this is the key, all because John shared God's word. He was preaching God's word. He was speaking the truth. And the, specifically here, all because he said, really, it comes down to, he said, Herodias, you can't have sex with Herod. You cannot have sexual relations with this man. That's what got him beheaded. Can you imagine that? Sharing God's teaching on marriage and sexual relations and people getting mad at you? I'm sure glad things are different in the USA today. Not. Listen, I'm kind of joking, but this is really serious. If you really want to tick somebody off, tell them they can't have sex with somebody. If you really want to upset someone, tell them they can't have sex. You've all heard of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, I'm going to write a book, How to Lose Friends and Infuriate People. And the way you do that is you share God's word and his truth about sexuality. That's how you do it. Now, understand something. What upsets people being told how, who, who they can have sex with and who can't? The Bible is very clear. You can only have sex with one person. A husband and a wife are allowed sexual relations in a marriage relationship. Anything else is wrong. But God doesn't do it because he's mean. He does it because he cares about us. He created sex. He created us. It's a powerful, powerful force. so powerful and it's meant it's like atomic energy it's meant to bond a, a, a man and a woman together for for their whole life that's why he made it so strong but when it gets perverted it's powerful for destruction you take atomic energy it can power the world or it can blow up the world that's what sex is like. 
And God doesn't say it to be mean. He says it, he teaches us to us because he knows how he created us and how he wants us to live because he wants us to live the beautiful sexual life that he's created us to live. So he's not being mean. He knows this is the right way to live. This is the healthy way. This is the way we're going to find sexual fulfillment. We aren't going to find it any other way. We're just going to find pain. We're going to find pain. We're going to find wounds. We're going to find damage that's going to last us a lifetime. So this is, this is God's plan for sexuality and for purity. But the thing about John found out, and the thing that I have found out, and the thing that we're all finding out as Christians, is if you want to make people mad, share God's word and God's plan on sexuality and, and sexual purity. Think of the church when it first started. For those who were here 13, almost 14 years ago, I'll never forget the week before we started the church, I get a phone call. Uh, yeah, I, this woman called and said, yeah, I wanted to know if you'll perform a wedding ceremony. I said, well, I might. <laughs> you know, I'd be happy to meet with you. He said, well, yeah, well, me and my partner, we want to meet. And I said, what's your partner's name? Well, her name is, when you get the, the point. And I said, well, I, I won't be able to do your wedding for you. She goes, why? I said, well, number one, it's against the law in Pennsylvania. I'm not allowed to do it. But even if it was becomes legal, it's against God's law, and I'll never be able to do this wedding. But I'd be happy to sit down and really talk to you about it. I was really nice about it. But I, I was really careful what I said, but, but I spoke the truth in love. And I said, I'd be happy to sit down and talk to you about this, and, and both of you, and, and really talk it out. And, and she freaked Oh, boy, I wish I had that on tape. Talk about hate crime, hate speech. Oh, I wish I had that on tape. Oh, we're going to shut you up. We're going to drive you out. We're going we're gonna, to, you will never have a church in New Hope because you don't agree with what we believe. We are, whoo. And you all remember the policemen, those who were here, policemen and picketers and TV stations and all. Oh, we had some fun, didn't we? The good old days. And, uh, <clears throat> but the crazy thing was, she said, we're not going to tolerate your intolerance. And I always thought tolerance meant you put up with people who disagree with you. Isn't that tolerance? But what she meant by tolerance and what they mean by tolerance is we won't tolerate anybody who believes differently from us. And so much for free speech, which John found out. All Herod was trying to do was shut John up. He didn't want to kill him. He just wanted to shut him up. Herodias wanted to kill him. Same today. We just want to shut Christians up because we're speaking God's truth. And truth has now become hate speech. If you speak God's truth, it's now become hate speech. George Orwell wrote, and I have it on my desk to remind me, he says, in times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Powerful, isn't it? In times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. But we have no choice. Because in Ephesians 4, 15, it says, speak the truth in love. Now, I know a lot of Christians over time have not spoken it in love. They've hammered away at people. Mean, judgmental, legalistic, and that is not right. This preacher who just died out in Kansas or whatever, going to all those funerals, attacking people. That's not love. But there's a lot of people who don't speak the truth now. We got both sides. 
The Bible says speak the truth in love. In love. Will we be politically correct or biblically correct? What will we be? We have a warning from John here. We have a warning from John, the John Witch story here. That if we are standing up to sin, especially sexual sin, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us. Even the church. Some of my most painful conflicts in the church, this church and the former churches, have been over sexual sin. People I love destroying their lives, going against God's word. Scarred for life. It's hard. And people I love who now hate me. I mean, it's not easy. I like to be liked. Even pastors like to be liked. It's hard. <laughs> but it's hard. It's really hard to tell people hard things. Tell people, somebody wants a divorce. You know, I'm just picking on homosexuality. Listen, divorce. How many people have said, don't divorce your spouse? And I, well, I'm going to divorce them. But listen, the Bible says you can't. There's no biblical ground. Now, there, there is biblical ground for some divorce. Uh, perpetual adultery or, or abandonment. That, that's the only biblical loophole. There's separation if you really need to. If there's some kind of abuse, there's separation. But the only thing is, for divorce is perpetual adultery, not just one time. It's perpetual and, and or abandonment. That's the only time. But I'll tell Christians, strong Christians, listen, the Bible says you can't divorce your spouse. Then they get mad. And they say, well, I'm just going to go find another pastor. And then they go down the road, they find another pastor who signs off. Says, yeah, you can divorce the bomb. Come to my church. It's hard. Or even worse, it's dating or marrying a non-Christian. This is the hardest thing as a pastor. Listen, the 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? The Bible teaches very clearly that we cannot, a Christian cannot yoke themselves. That includes Dating, because I'm not talking about being friends with someone, but dating someone, putting yourself in that steady relationship, or marrying someone, that's yoking. And a lot of you don't even know what yoking is, but I grew up on a farm. It has nothing to do with an egg. It's ox. And, 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 it, and the, the, we have some of the yokes. I remember as a kid, there were still ox yokes sitting out there and then out in the barn, these old antique ox yokes. There were these wooden thing with two bumps inside where you put on top of the ox and you hook the plow to it and that's what you did your plowing with and planting with and, and, and everything with and, and the, the ox were once they're connected together they had to walk together and if one was stronger than the other one guess what pull this way pull that way once you're connected you're stuck together and, and Paul is saying don't Christians should not be yoked 
should not be connected like that, should not be sexually connected like that. The power of the sexual relation should not happen because it will constantly be a battle for a Christian. You will be constantly being pulled the wrong direction. Oh, the crazy stories I could tell you. Don't marry this person. Please don't date this person. Please don't marry this person. They marry them now, then they're upset. Then I'm like, please don't divorce this person now. And then they're upset, and they divorce them. Then I'm like, no, no, please don't remarry anyone else. You have no biblical grounds. And then they're mad at me over that. The sad letters. It sounds funny, but it's hard. The sad letters I could read you. I saved them. I have them in my files. Just to remind me to stay firm. One of the saddest letters I have in my file is, is from a woman. She said, why didn't I listen to you, Chuck? You told me not to marry this man. You told me to go back to my husband, who I'd been divorced with, but there was no biblical grounds for divorce. She said, go back to him. But you were the only pastor. I went to seven other pastors, and they said it was okay. And she kept coming back to me, checking in again. No, I'm still not changing my mind. You know, it's called the Bible. You know, she go back out, find another pastor. She said, I found seven pastors. They all signed off except you. And I finally said, seven is enough. I'm going to go do it. She went, I got this guy to marry her, one of the seven. He's a nationally famous pastor. By your letter, relative, you read his books. I'm sure he didn't know the whole story. But I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Married him. She said, why didn't I listen to you? My life has been hell. I have experienced hell on earth. And to this day, it's been 10, 15 years now. She still will write me saying, I'm still in hell. But I've submitted to God. I've surrendered to God. I've repented. And he's starting to restore me. Not my marriage. My marriage is a mess. It will never change. I know that. I shouldn't have married this guy. I went against the word. But. God's working. He's, his mercy and grace is working in my life. The sad letters that I could read to you. And what makes it even harder for me is so few churches and pastors have stayed true to God's word. Like John. So few. The horror stories are all too common. I'll teach somebody God's word and they just go down the road and they find another evangelical pastor who understands their situation. I remember a woman, she had been married several times. She became a Christian. She wanted to get married again. I said, you get one shot at it. You're a Christian now. This is it. She decides to marry a non-Christian. I said, do not marry that man. Oh, I think he's a Christian. I, well, let, let me talk to him first. No, no, we're just, don't you stay out of my business. And she married him. And then she was miserable because he really wasn't a Christian turned out and I said you better stay married to him you married him you stay married to him but I'm miserable like my one professor used to say you made your bed sleep in it that was Gordon Sepperly some of you remember him and I encouraged her I said listen stay with this man but she finally came to me and said I'm going to divorce this man it's just too abusive, and I cannot stay with him. I said, okay, well, listen, you have that option, but you can never remarry again. If you, you divorce this guy, this is multiple marriages, you can't remarry again. This is your shot as a Christian. I understand. That's okay. That's okay. She divorced him. 
A short time later, found out she's looking to get married again. I said, I called her and said, you cannot marry anybody else. Vicious, angry at me. Won't talk to me to this day. Another woman came to me and said, my ex-husband is an elder at his church. This church, I'm sure the pastor doesn't know his story. My ex-husband committed adultery, had an affair, committed adultery, divorced me, married this adulteress, and now he's moved to another area, and I'm sure the pastor has no idea. This pastor's church is really struggling, but this guy's on his elder board, and I just feel like he doesn't know what's going on, and and maybe it'd just be helpful if you made a call and talked to him and, and, and tried to encourage him to make things right with me, you know, this, this woman. So I, I called this pastor, and I said, hey, you know, I know you probably don't even know this, but I, as a pastor and a friend, you know, I figured I'd better tell you, one of your elders is divorced from one of the women that I, in my church, and he, he committed adultery, and he's, like, living with this woman, and, you know, and I'm sure you don't know. He goes, oh, I know all about it. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I know. What's the big deal? I said, well, you know, that whole verse about, you know, elders being the husband of one wife, and, you know, at the very least, he should ask for forgiveness from the wife he cheated. Oh, stay out of, stay out of my business. It's none of your business. So, well, I, I thought we were, like, on the same team, you know, and we were helping each other, and, and, uh, and he just was nasty. And I finally said, well, I guess I know why your church is struggling. You know, God can't bless open sin. And he cursed me out. Cursed me out. And I just heard recently the rest of the story that that couple's no longer there and the pastor's no longer there. He's uh, come out of the closet and uh, the truth is out. Another last story. Another friend of mine recently called me. He used to be in the ministry. He took a little break for ministry, and uh, he was at a very large church down south, and his wife commits adultery, has an affair, and is divorcing him. He goes to the pastor, a very large evangelical Bible-preaching church, and talks to the pastor, and the pastor says, yeah, I know all about it. I, I talked to her. Uh, her parents can talk to her, and... and uh, and, uh, okay, but I'm just going to drop it. He goes, what do you mean you're just going to drop it? I want to I heal my marriage. Can't you get us together and counsel us? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to do that? I want to save our marriage. Get us together. Counsel us. I'll do anything. Anything to, to heal this. Whatever she wants, I'll do it. I, I want to get healing here for my marriage, of our children. He said, I, I, I can't. I, I did talk to her, and I agree. She's wrong. She shouldn't be doing this, but... But I'm just going to drop it. I can't go any further. He goes, what are you talking about? He said, well, well, her parents go here too, you know. Yeah. Well, they talked to me, and, and they agree she shouldn't be doing this, but they just want her to be happy. They just want her to be happy. And so I'm just going to leave it there. What? Well, listen, they're very big givers, and I don't want to rock the boat. I think I've given you enough examples. Just turn on the TV. Just turn on the TV and you see the pastor with a big smile. Big smile. Big church, big smile. Who wouldn't smile with your own jet? 
Okay? Got your own jet? Why wouldn't you be smiling? And when he talks, I don't like to talk about sin. Everybody talks about, I don't, I don't like to bring up sin. No, no I, don't like, I don't like to talk about sin. Larry King, I don't want to talk about sin. Uh, God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy, and happy people give more money. And God just wants you to be happy. God would never ask you to do something you don't want to do. Or he would never ask you to give up something that makes you unhappy. Kind of the message, right? Listen, I learned a long time ago, if you're a pastor and no one is mad at you, you are unfaithful to God and the church. And it's hard on me because I like to be liked. I really want everybody to like me. <laughs> well, you do, but there's a lot of people that... <laughs> there's a lot of people that aren't here that don't, that used to be here. That's the problem, right? Well, but listen to what Paul says in Acts 20, because it affects all of us here. In Acts chapter 20, he's given the Ephesian elders farewell address... And, and he says something that's powerful. He's, the last thing he says to the Ephesian church before he goes off and gets himself killed there. Once again, beheaded. Was it Paul beheaded? Right, yeah, beheaded. He says now, verse 25, Acts 20, 25, he says, Now I know that none of you, of, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That's why I infuriate people. That's why some of you have been mad at me and that's why I've been mad at you. If we, the whole word of God, I am accountable. Someday, I'm going to stand before God. He's not going to ask how big was my church. He's not going to ask how big our budget was. He's not going to ask about my jet. <laughs> it's real small. It's matchbox size. He's going to say, did you hesitate to proclaim the whole will of God? Are you innocent of the blood of all men and women? And it's hard because I have to do things and say things that really upset people. Now, good thing I grew up on a farm. I got good training on this because, you know, pastors are pastors. That means shepherd, and you had to deal with the animals. And I remember having to do some very painful things to keep animals from hurting themselves or hurting or keeping them alive. I remember cows, and we used to dehorn them. And we used to, my dad would get, get all the boys, all those boys, you know, my boys go to the gym to lift weights. We wrestled cows. We'd get these little cows down. We'd turn their head. You had to know how to do it. Turn that, tackle them down and sit on them and grab them and hold them down. And my dad would take this hot burning iron and burn their horns down to a little nub. Before their horns were growing yet, you had to do when they're little. Why? I mean, I, one time one, one of them passed out, was dying. My dad saw this hundred, couple hundred dollar cow. He started giving it mouth to mouth, <laughs> blowing and just getting the smoke out of it, trying to get it back alive. It was painful. But why? Because if we didn't dehorn those cows, they were going to poke us in the eye or poke the other cows in the eye and maim themselves. I remember a cow ate something it shouldn't have eaten. 
and it was bloating up. It was laying on its side, bloating up. It looked like it was going to explode. You know, Charlie the Chocolate Factory when that girl was violet, turning into a violet. It was going to explode. And we were calling the vet, and the vet wasn't there yet. We were trying to figure out how are we going to get the air out. I remember taking needles and stabbing it into the stomach, you know, just holding the needles there. You know, the, the, the syringe needles and the air just pumping out of the E needles with blood and stuff and just trying to keep it from exploding until the vet got there. That cow did survive. And the sheep, oh, the stupid sheep. A dumb, dumb, dumb sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's a reason why. That's in the Bible. Oh, the, oh. I'm not even going to describe what I did to sheep, but there were worms and it was horrible. That's all I'm going to say. It goes for Christians, too. If we are faithful to God and his word, people are going to be upset with us. Now, we've got to speak the truth in love. And if we, don't, if we can't say it in love, we shouldn't speak it. But if we speak the truth in love, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, In fact, this is a fact, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted that's a fact let me just say something if you've never been persecuted if you've never even been made fun of if nobody's upset with you for your faith guess what bad sign since we're on the sheep thing that's a bad sign that means you are not living a godly life because if you're living a godly life in Christ Jesus it's going to be constant and John the Baptist had a different perspective and a lesson for all of us. He shows us here what will happen if we faithfully follow Jesus Christ. If we speak the truth, even in love, you better commit your head to heaven. It's prophetic what happened here. In fact, in Matthew 14, parallel passage, when Jesus heard what happened to John, it said he withdrew to a solitary place. What did Jesus always do in solitary places? Prayed. He, why? Because he was deeply affected by the beheading of John. Why? Because he knew that was prophetic. That was what was going to happen to him on the cross. He was going to die on the cross. He knows what's coming. And he knows what's coming not just for himself, but for his apostles. Out of the 12 apostles, 11 of them were martyred. Only one wasn't martyred. Guess who? John. Why wasn't John martyred? They boiled him in oil and he didn't die. It's a historical story. He didn't die. Why God? Why did God let him survive that boiling? They couldn't kill him, so they put, banished him to, to the island of Patmos because he had to write the book of Revelation. His job wasn't done yet, but that's prophetic what happened to John. And this is for us today, too. Our job is to speak the truth in love. We're to be salt and light. We're not to be out there avoiding offending at all costs. We're not to be seeker-sensitive, but spirit-sensitive. Some churches... We're seeker-sensitive. That's what we got to be, seeker-sensitive. Listen, there is a time to be seeker-sensitive. There's a time to be careful. We don't want to offend unnecessarily or say something. But there's also a time to be spirit-sensitive. And if we're spirit-sensitive, sometimes that means confronting. That does mean offending. The gospel offends. The gospel is a great news. It's great news. But ultimately, it must offend before somebody can affect accept the gospel and get the cure of the gospel yes god is love john three sixteen. do i ever finish the service without it for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. He sacrifices his son on the cross to pay for the wrong we've done. Somebody had to pay. And we can have life by putting our faith, by believing, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But first, before we can accept the cure, we must understand we have a disease, a fatal disease, a sin sickness, something that is destroying our, uh, our life and will keep us out of God's presence now and forever. We have to understand that. And the first step to getting that cure is repentance. That's the first step. That's why it's called salvation. The Bible says salvation. It means to be saved. We're being saved from something really bad. It's sin and it's hell. We're being saved from that. You, some of you, I know you've been following this whole story about this Korean ferry that sunk. And they have video footage. I didn't have the heart to watch it, but I read about what they found. Divers found it. That was horrible. The hundreds of people that were killed, and many of them children. And they said they went in, and the children's fingers were all broken because they were trying to open the windows, and they couldn't get them open. They had broken fingers. And I was thinking, that is a picture of where we are without Jesus Christ. We live in these desperate lives, these hopeless lives. We are sinking. We are we are, we are facing eternal judgment without Jesus Christ. We need to be saved. Then we can accept God's love. When we repent, then we can turn to God for his love. That's what the communion is all about this morning. What it is that Jesus came and died on the cross and he gave his body which is the bread and his blood which is the cup he gave that for us john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life and and what we do how we take it is in a little bit we just have some worship music and when you're ready we just come forward and take take the bread take the cup you can do it by yourself with someone However you feel that, it's between you and God, just taking this, remembering the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's very important, the Bible says very important, don't take it if you're not a Christian or if there's something in our life that we will not surrender to God. The Bible says don't take it in an unworthy manner. Now, nobody, nobody, nobody knows if you're taking it or not. This is between you and God. We're not videotaping. We're not televised. We're not, you know, this is just between you and God. But I want to encourage you. To take this very seriously. If you're not ready to take communion, just pray through this time. Just pray through it. But I want to encourage you. If you're not a Christian, put your faith in Jesus Christ today. The Bible says now is a time of salvation. Put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're sitting here for the first time realizing I'm on the sinking ship. I'm the one who's lost and there's only one way to life and that's through jesus christ there's only one opening and that's through jesus christ and if you turn to him and ask for forgiveness and put your faith in him and follow him you can have that life and you can commune not just this morning come up take it but but you can commune with him every day and as christians how is the holy spirit convicting us are we ready to take this communion not that we're perfect <laughs> no 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 but but we're committed to the holiness 
We're committed to say, God, I'm going to keep fighting this battle. I need your mercy and grace. I know I've been fighting something all week long, but by your mercy and grace, I ask you to forgive me and help me. I'm surrendering. I need this time of communion with you. And, and, and I'm going to be faithful to your word. In an unfaithful society, I'm going, to be unfaithful. I'm going to be faithful to your word. I'm going to be salt and light. I'm going to speak the truth in love. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? This communion service. Maybe you're here today. And there's something in our life that God is convicting you of. And you've been saying, I'm just not going to listen. But God is convicting you. And you know before you can have communion with Jesus Christ, that close communion, close relationship with Jesus Christ, something has to be surrendered today and every day. And just where you're sitting, say, God, I repent. I surrender this to you. I know what your word says, and I'm going to follow your word. It doesn't matter what my feelings say. It doesn't matter what the world says. I'm going to follow you by faith. Maybe you're here today, and you've been trying to please the world. You've been trying to please your friends. You've been giving in to peer pressure. Maybe you're not doing anything bad, but you're not saying anything good. But the Holy Spirit is speaking. Your prayer this communion Sunday is, God, I commit my head down. I'm giving you my whole heart. Let me live out the power of Jesus Christ. Let me speak your truth in love. Maybe you're here and you're on a sinking ship. You're living an empty life, a desperate life. That's going to end badly. Maybe you're haunted by things you've done, who you've become. But you don't have to walk out that way. You can come to the cross right now. You can take this communion this morning. Taking the bread and taking the cup. Because you put your faith. In Jesus Christ. Right where you're sitting, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me. Everything wrong I've ever done, I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer, you do pray that prayer, you can now commune with God anytime as your father. I want to encourage you to let me know or let someone know. Maybe it came with a friend or family member. Fill out the card, stick it in the box. Text me, email me, call, let somebody know so we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new life in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for every one of us here that everyone here would be saved. And everyone here, would, every one of us would live the life you've called us to live purpose you've called us to live, the, in the power you've called us to live. Pray that in Jesus' name.